Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pat Price Tech Talk Training Room. Today is the 21st of February, 2022. It's President's Day here. Uh, and we're here to talk about a new book that has just come out. David Kingsbury has been with us before, uh, and he has another book out and another good one. And you'll be hearing um, as he demonstrates a little bit uh, in the next hour or so. And eventually you will also have a chance to ask your question. So, why is somebody still unmuted? I'm going to need to do some of that over again because I can't edit that out, I don't think. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I muted somebody who came in. I don't know why they got okay. in. Okay. Okay. I'll just let me go. I'll just go back and do it again. It's only like a, about 20 seconds. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pat Price Tech Talk Training Room. I'm Larry Gassman. Today is February 21st, 2022. It's President's Day. And this time on Tech Talk, we welcome back David Kingsbury, who has been with us uh, several times, to talk about books that he has written and some very good ones as well. And he has a new one out that just launched last Thursday, and he'll be demonstrating. You'll hear that. And there will be time for your questions and answers as the hour goes on. But first, let's say thank you for coming and welcome back David Kingsbury to Tech Talk. Thank you, Larry. It's great to be back. Uh, So the title of the book that I'm going to talk about today is The Windows Screen Reader Primer, All the Basics and More. And I'll just start with a few introductory uh, remarks. And then uh, I've got uh, a few tips and tricks to demo that's pre-recorded. And hopefully that will leave us a good amount of time for some Q&A, because that's always my favorite part, the Q&A. So as Larry mentioned, This is, well, this is actually the third book that I've written. The first one was about formatting Word documents. The second one was about web browsing. And after I finished the second one, uh, I thought a bit about what I wanted to write next. And I initially thought about, you know, going piecemeal fashion, picking off maybe another application like Excel or Outlook or PowerPoint. Uh, But I eventually hit on the idea of trying to write something more comprehensive. I thought that would be a a more useful contribution to the to the blindness community. And as far as I know, nobody had ever uh, written such a book, or if they did, it was so far back in the past that uh, given how technology evolves, wasn't going to be any relevant anymore. So um, the book uh, that I've written attempts to uh, cover using the the three main the three main screen reader programs that we use with Windows, JAWS, NVDA, and Narrator, with Windows, with the four main Microsoft Office suite programs, Word, Outlook, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, with web browsers, and then with a few other applications. So uh, the book is larger than the books that I've written before, over 300 pages. And that means that there are a few navigation challenges. So in the introduction, I do talk about um, uh, effective ways to move through the book uh, uh, by headings, lists of headings, and also with the quick keys mode in JAWS, browse mode in uh, NVDA, uh, scan mode in uh, narrator. So you can take uh, take advantage of moving by heading level. So uh, I'm going to be very brief about, uh, in terms of talking about the the content of the book, I'll just 
go through the chapters without actually talking about uh, what's in each one of them. So again, the introduction is actually worth reading because it does talk through uh, the content of the book in a little bit more detail than I am now. It also talks about some of these navigation strategies, moving by heading and so on. Chapter one talks about um, uh, the basic settings that you want to uh, consider when using the, the three screen reader programs, as well as um, uh, ways to get help for each of those. Chapter two talks about um, Windows. And by the way, I should say that um, I do talk about both Windows 10 and Windows 11, a few of the uh, important differences between Windows 10 and 11. There aren't that many, uh, frankly, that I consider truly significant. Chapters three, four, five, and six talk about the Microsoft Office suite, respectively Word, Outlook, Excel, PowerPoint. Chapter seven draws on my book on web browsing, talking about the three most popular web browsers, Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, and Firefox. My previous book also talked about Internet Explorer, but we've dropped that now because Microsoft essentially retired that last uh, summer. Uh, in chapter eight, I return to the screen readers to talk about the different types of customizations you can do. And that chapter is, is really dominated by JAWS because that is really the one thing that sets JAWS apart from the other two, the wealth of customizations you can do. In fact, there are so many of them that sometimes it's a bit intimidating. So I attempt to uh, you know, zero in on what I consider to be uh, the most important or most useful customizations that you might want to change. But I do also talk about customizations in NVDA and Narrator. Chapter nine is about proofing and correcting um, documents that you create. So things like spell check, uh, some of the proofing tools that JAWS has, that uh, NVDA have, and that Narrator have. And then there's a final chapter that talks about, it's a bit of a potpourri, uh, but it talks about um, uh, PDFs, you know, reading PDFs with uh, Acrobat Reader, some of the issues you may run into and how to overcome them, cloud sharing with Dropbox and OneDrive, and then uh, an assorted uh, list of other tips and tricks, uh, Windows-related, Office-related, that don't necessarily fit in uh, elsewhere in the book. I also talk a little bit about um, YouTube. So a little bit of fun stuff in there. Um, there are three appendices. One, a long list of keystrokes, essentially a cheat sheet. Uh, second appendix, a glossary of over 100 computer terms. And then a final appendix with some practice, uh, with some practice exercises that you could try out if you wanted to. And the book is also accompanied by a set of um, practice um, files or a folder with uh, a number of practice files in it. Um, the book uh, is available for free at the Carroll Center. We decided to um, distribute it for free for a couple of reasons. Most important is we really wanted to get out to as many people as it possibly could. And what better way to do that than um, distributing it for free? We also thought that, you know, given the nature of technology, um, you know, books on technology uh, by their nature have a relatively, relatively short shelf life. So I wanted to write a book that would eventually essentially be in a living document that I could update over time. So not something that you just, you know, uh, sell once and then it just sort of 
after six months gathers dust because you know, that is often the fate of uh, technology books. So I do uh, plan on updating it over time. Um, that said, I will still say that I do not want to be shy in saying that uh, if you do download the book and you do appreciate it, um, consider making a, a donation to the Carroll Center where I work. Um, easy to do. You can, you can make a donation uh, while you're downloading the book. Um, and you can also go to uh, the Carroll Center website, you know, carol.org slash donate and make a contribution there. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot org slash donate. Um, so uh, with that little introduction, uh, by the way, if you want to know a little bit more about, um, um, oh, get, let, let me say, if you want to get a, a more substantive or more detailed overview of the book, as well as the the navigation strategies I mentioned. Um, you can listen to the book launch that was last Thursday, and I'll put in the uh, groups.io um, uh, email list uh, a link so you could download that. So if you wanted to listen to that, it's about an hour long and about 20 minute presentation by me of um, uh, the content of the book and those various navigation strategies. So as I said earlier, um, uh, I'd like to uh, give sort of a, a little potpourri of, of tips and tricks. There's really no way to sort of comprehensively go through the book in any way. So I thought a few random tips and tricks would be the best way to do it. And uh, through a difficult experience, I've always noticed that um, when I do technology presentations in front of a group, technology has a way of, of misbehaving. So I thought to minimize my risk and embarrassment, I would simply do this as a pre-recorded uh, MP3 file, and Larry has that, and so Larry, that's my cue, so you can play that. This lasts about 20 minutes, and then after that, we can have Q&A. Auto text is a really nice feature in Outlook and in Word that can save you some time when you have to type things that uh, are repetitive. So, for example, I start many of my emails every day. Uh, by typing hi all comma and then uh, the message underneath it and then I end them very often with thanks comma and then a new a new line David. So I can make it so that all I need to do is define a very quick key for typing uh, each of those. So I'm going to first simply type in hi all H I space A L L and I'm in the body of an email I'm going to put comma comma now I'm going to select that, so I'll get back to the beginning with home, home H. and I'll do shift Hotel. end to select it. Selected. Hi all comma. Now I'm going to hit alt F3. Alt F3, create new building block, name colon, edit combo, hi all. And we're asked to put in a building block. I'm simply going to type the letter H because that's what I would like my quick key to be. H. That could also be a word. Uh, but whatever you put in, make it something short and something that you can easily remember. And now I'll just uh, hit enter. Enter. Test message dash message left current HTML top of file. Hi all. Now I'll delete that Select. so there's nothing there. Now I'm just going to type the letter H followed by F3. Blank. H. F3. And I'll down arrow. Blank. Blank. Hi all. And there it is. Blank. I'll now type... Thanks, comma, New Line David. T H A 
N K S comma enter D A V I D. Thanks. Home. And I'll select that. Tick selected. Thanks, comma. Selected. David. I'll do Alt F3. Alt F3. Create new building block. Name colon. Edit combo. Thanks. And I'll just type in the letter T. T. And now enter. Enter. Test message dash message left. Uh, now let me get rid of everything that's in here. Select and delete. I'll... Now I'll just type T followed immediately by F3. Blank. T. F3. Blank. David. Thanks. David. And there it is. So that's very nice. You can use that in Outlook. You can use it in Word. There's no word limit. I did that with something very short. But you could have this, for example, or uh, a weekly agenda that you do for a particular meeting, or if you have a recurrent Zoom link, or the name of your organization, or your email signature. Really, the sky's the limit. One final thing on auto text. You will need to enter these separately in both Word and Outlook. There is a fancy way to import or export from one to the other, uh, but I frankly don't think that's worth the trouble. Here are a couple of tips and tricks related to copying links from web pages into emails. I'm now on the Carroll Center homepage. The Carroll Center for the Blind. And to copy the link, I need to get up to the address bar. I can either hit Alt-D or F6. I'll hit Alt-D. Alt-D, selected, roll.org, toolbar, address and search bar edit, https colon slash slash carol.org. There we are. That is selected already. I'll copy it with Control-C. Copy selection to clipboard. I'll navigate to the open email that I'm preparing. Task switching, test message dash message left parent. And I'll paste it with Control V. Paste it from clipboard. Enter. And I hit Enter to go down a line. Link HTTPS colon slash slash carol.org. And there it is. Now I could send that email if I wanted to, but let's say I'd like to give that a label other than just the URL. I'll make sure that my cursor is somewhere on that link. I'll just right arrow. T-P-S. And I'm there. I'll hit, I'll hit my applications key. Applications. Menu. Cut unavailable. T. And I'm going to down arrow to where it says edit hyperlink. Copy unavailable. Leaving menus. Paste option. Menu. Edit hyperlink dot dot dot. H. And I'll hit enter here. Enter. Leaving menus. Edit hyperlink. Address colon. Edit combo. HTTPS colon. First place we land is where the address is simply repeated. I'll tab once. Text to display colon. Edit combo. HTTPS colon slash. And here where it says text to display, I'll simply type in the label that I would like to give it. I will just write in Carol Center homepage. And hit enter. Enter. Test message dash message. And let me down arrow and up arrow. Blank. Link Carol Center homepage. So there it is. So with just that one little extra step, you can give a URL a label. Here's a little trick you can use if you are copying a Dropbox link that you would like to share with other people. So I'm in my Dropbox. I'm going to arrow to a folder that I would like to share with others. Audio files for PDF lessons, one of 23. And I first need to copy a Dropbox link. I'll hit my Applications key after I have focused on that folder. Applications. Context menu. O. Open. O. I'm going to down arrow to where it says copy Dropbox link. Open a new pin to quick share dot. Send with request copy Dropbox link. L. And I'll hit enter. Enter. Leaving menus. Audio lessons. Items view multi-select list. 
Now, you may have heard it. There was a little uh, chime noise there. Sometimes there's a chime. Sometimes it will even say that a link has been copied to the clipboard. Other times it won't say anything. But now I'm going to navigate to my open email. Test message dash message left parenthesis. And I'm going to paste it. Control V. Pasted from clipboard. I'll hit enter to go down the line. Enter. And I'll up arrow. Link HTTPS colon slash slash www.dropbox.com slash. And that link is there. Now, if I were to send this off, the recipient would open the link and it would bring them up to a web page where they'd have to find a download button. We can cut out the step of recipients needing to go to the internet to download a folder by using the edit hyperlinks command that I talked about a few moments ago. That way, when they click on the link, the folder will go directly to their downloads folder on the computer. So you need to be on the link. I'll make sure I'm on it. Lit T, T, T. I am. Tango. And I'm going to open up the applications key again. Applications. Menu. Cut unavailable. T. Down arrow to edit hyperlink. Copy on Leaving menus. Paste option. Menu. Edit hyperlink dot dot dot. H. Now, at the very end of that URL, it says equals zero. Don't ask me why this is, but if I substitute that zero with a one, so it says equals one, that means people will be able to download the um, folder directly to their downloads folder without having to go to uh, a website to find it. So I'll hit enter here. Enter, leaving menus, edit hyperlink, address colon, edit combo, opbox.com slash sh. So we have the whole uh, link in there. I won't, uh, we don't need to listen to it all. I'm going to hit the right arrow, which will deselect or unselect uh, the URL, and it will put me at the very right side of it. Space. Now, if I left arrow. Zero. Equals. You hear it say equals zero. Zero. Space. I'll backspace out the zero. Zero. And I'll type in one. One. And now I'll hit enter. Enter. Test message dash message left paren HTML right paren. Now we'll say I sent that email off to a recipient. They receive it. Blank. Link HTTPS. I'm going to hit enter and we'll listen to what it says. Enter. Untitled dash Google alert. Downloading 18.5 megabytes. Audio files for PD alert. Download complete colon audio. And that has gone to my downloads folder. Let me go and find it. Windows M. Folder D. Document D. Downloads. Enter. Downloads. Items view multi NL audio files for PDF lessons.zip. One of 16. There it is. So a nice quick way to share uh, files and folders with others using Dropbox. In Excel, the define names command is a great feature for making it easier for you to read spreadsheets as well as create them yourself. So I'm in a table now called Quarterly Pet Adoption Statistics, A1. Quarterly Pet Adoption Statistics. Down column A, we have different types of pets. Pet type, dogs, it cats, A4. Dogs, cats, and so on. And across row two. Dogs, it pet type, A2, quarter one, B2, quarter two, C2. We have our different quarters. Now the problem here is that if we move around inside the table, it's gonna be very hard for us to know what a particular number corresponds to. I'll down arrow two or three times. 62, 73, And C4. I'll right arrow once. 72, D4. It's very hard to know what does that 72 correspond to. If I wanted to find out, I would have to up arrow 
to the top of the table to see what quarter it is. Then I'd have to down arrow back to the number and then left arrow all the way back over to the left to see what the pet type is. And that would be a lot of work. So we can remedy that by using the define names command. First thing you need to do is you need to place your cursor on the cell that is the intersection of the column you would like read to you when you're moving around inside the table and the row that you would like read to you when you're moving around inside the table. So uh, the column in this case is column A because that's where the pet types are and the row is row two where the different quarters of the year are along the top of the table. So I'm going to navigate to cell A2. Dogs, pet type, quarterly pet pet type, A2. And there we are. Now I'm going to hit my Applications key. Applications. Menu. Cut. T. I'm going to up arrow twice to define names. Link submit. Define name dot dot dot. A. And I'm going to hit Enter here. Enter. Leaving menus. New name. Name colon edit. Pet underline type. And I'm going to type in the word title. T-I-T-L-E. T-I-T-L-E. And press Enter. Enter. Pet adoption statistics. Now when I go pet down type. a row or two, I'll go down to cats. Dogs. It cats. A4. When I write arrow, we'll know that it is the number corresponding to cats for whatever quarter it is. Quarter 1, 55. Quarter 2, 73. Quarter 3, 72. D4. And now when I up arrow or down arrow, we'll know that uh, this is quarter 3 for whatever the pet type happens to be. Gerbils, 84. D5. Hamsters, 37. D6. We could also uh, go back to that cell A2 if we wanted to. Let's say we only wanted to hear the quarters going along the top of table. In A2, we could go back to define names and instead we could type in column title as one word, C-O-L-U-M-N-T-I-T-L-E, and enter. Then we would only hear the quarters as we're moving left and right. We would not hear the pet types as we're moving up and down. However, let's say Instead, we wanted to hear just the pet types. Starting again in A2, we would go to where it said define names in the applications key, and in there we would type in the word row title as one word, R-O-W-T-I-T-L-E, and enter. Now, it's also good to know how you remove these, because if you put them in wrong, it could create a real mess. This is in the formulas tab of the Excel ribbons, but I'll use the shortcut key instead, which is Control-F3. And you can delete them from anywhere in the sheet. You don't need to be on cell A2. Control-F3, Name Manager, List View, Title, Pet Type equals Sheet $1, A2 Workbook, One of One. And it lands right on the word Title. I'm going to hit the Delete key. Microsoft Excel Dialog, Are You Sure You Want to Delete the Name Title? OK button. And I'll hit the space bar to agree to that. Space. List view, zero item. And now you need to hit the escape key to return to the spreadsheet. If you are in a Word document where you don't really need to read every word of it, you just need to get a general sense of it, you can save a lot of time by skim reading it. And I have discovered a couple of ways that you can skim read, where in essence, you're jumping to the beginning of each paragraph and you're hearing just enough words to get a general sense of what that paragraph is about. Uh, the document I'm currently in Rwanda background is called Rwanda background. It's about eight or nine pages long. If I were to read through the entire document, it might take me 15 or 20 minutes. However, if I skim read, I can 
reduce that time quite a bit, perhaps to just three or four minutes. So the keystroke to jump to the next paragraph and read it is control down arrow. So I'm gonna do that for just a few of these paragraphs. One, Rwanda is a landlocked, resource-poor and overpopulated country covering an area of 22. Civil wars and ethnic cleansing devastated the country in the 1990s, the genocide of 1993. In 2006, agriculture was the major contributor to GDP. Four, structural reforms in the tea and coffee sectors are expected to lead to increased and I just hit control to stop that. Again, I was holding down the control key throughout and just down arrowing enough to hear a little bit. So we covered four or five paragraphs there in just a few seconds and got a general idea of uh, the content of those paragraphs. Here's another way to do the same thing. I'll jump back to the top of the page, control home. Top of file, Rwanda background. We can turn on in JAWS what's called quick keys mode by hitting insert Z. And what that does is it allows us to use a number of single keystrokes, similar to ones that we might use on the web to, uh, to jump around. And the keystroke for JAWS is P to jump to the next paragraph. So I'm gonna hit insert Z now. Quick keys on. And again, that has taken the document out of edit mode and it now allows us to hit certain individual keystrokes and I'm going to hit the letter P and we'll hear the same type of feedback as we heard a moment before. So I'm just going to hit P. One, Rwanda is a landlocked, resource-poor and overpopulated country cup. Two, civil wars and ethnic cleansing devastated the country in the 1990s. Three, in 2006, agriculture was the major contributor to GDP at 40. And you see we get similar effects there. To get out of quick keys mode and return to edit mode, simply hit insert Z again. I like doing the insert Z because I don't have to hold down the control key throughout, but either way will give you the same audio feedback. When you copy and paste text from the internet into a Word document, you can often bring in some strange formatting that you may not want. So we can use a command called paste text only in Word to avoid that. Uh, I have an article here from the New York Times. Who is the bad art friend? And we're gonna see in a moment that there is some pretty funny formatting going on here. I'll do an insert F here on the title to see what the font information is. Bolded, 24 point, white on black, net dash max lab, normal style, line spacing colon single. That font size is pretty big, and I have absolutely no idea what that font looks like. Let me down arrow line. Art often draws inspiration from life. Let me see what it is here. 12 point, white on black, Helvetica, normal style, line. So that's different too. Finally, let me go to the very bottom of the article. Page 37, bottom of file, link subscriptions. And I'll hit insert F here to check the formatting. 11 point, gray 40 on white. Calibri, normal style, lines. So different sizes, different colors, different font styles or names. Here's how we can make it consistent and conform to the default font of the Word document. Whenever I import text from the internet, instead of doing a simple paste with control V, I will do what's called paste text only. So I'm going to take this text right now. I'm going to select the whole thing, control A. 61801 carat. 
I'm going to hit Control C to copy it. Copied selection to clipboard. And I'll hit Control N to open a brand new Word document. Control N, document one dash Word, edit. Now instead of doing a simple paste with Control V, I'm going to use my applications key. If you have an applications key, uh, use it. If not, Shift F10. Applications, menu, cut unavailable, T. I'm going to down arrow to where it says paste options. Copy unavailable, C. Leaving menus, paste options, keep source formatting button, K. Now if I hit enter here, that would just do a simple paste, control V. Instead, I'm going to left arrow once. Keep text only button. And hit enter on keep text only. Edit, page 25. I'll go back to the top. Page one, top of file, who is the bad art friend? I'll do insert F here. 11 point, black on white, Calibri, normal style. Now it has come into the Word document with the default fonts from uh, Word, and uh, it should be consistent throughout. Let me go to the bottom. Page 25, subscriptions. And I'll do an insert F here. 11 point, black on white, Calibri, normal style, line spacing, colon one line. And we see that it's consistent. Another way to do paste text only is to use the ribbon shortcut key, and that is Alt-H. V, T, but either way, you will get the same result. The find and replace command in Word is a great tool for making multiple replacements. You can use it for lots of different things, and in this example, I'm going to use it to do a little bit of proofreading of punctuation. A lot of people put extra spaces between words by accident. Sometimes it's because in the olden days, you were expected to put two spaces uh, at the end of every sentence, and just due to muscle memory, people are still doing that, but it's no longer proper to do that. So we can use find and replace to find occurrences where there are two spaces and simply replace them with a single space. Let me do that now. So I'll hit Control H. Control H, find and replace, find what colon, edit combo, period. And in the find box, I'm just going to type the space bar twice. Space, space. And in the replace box, I'm simply going to type the space bar once. Replace with space. And now I'll tab to replace all. More greater replace button. Replace all button. Space. Microsoft Word dialog. All done. We made 34 replacements. OK button. And as you see, 34 replacements were quickly done. Space. Es escape. Daily training. We can also use this to get rid of what is called stray punctuation. That is situations where, let us say, you've finished, you've written a word, and then you want to follow it by a comma, but by mistake, you put a space between the end of the word and that comma. So what are we going to do here? I'm going to try to find everywhere where there is space and then comma, and simply replace it with comma. I'll do that now. Control H. Find and replace. Space. space. Comma. comma. Tab to replace. Replace with colon. Edit combo, comma. And just comma. And I'll tab to replace all. More greater. Replace button. Replace all button space. Microsoft Word dialog. All done. We made five replacements. And as you see, we made five replacements. You could do that with other forms of straight punctuation. Periods, semicolons, colons. And there you go. Here you are. David, are you with us? Uh, I think so. Am I? Yes, you are. Just checking. Okay. Yeah.
So I'm ready for Q and A. That's that's oh. my uh, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure. So yeah. Ron, maybe you can help us because I know there are some raised hands already, at least two. Okay, Nikki is first. Hey there. Um, this has been fascinating, <laughs> really fascinating. Um, I, I I'm I'm not I'm not blind. I'm sighted. I've had very 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 bad eyes over my lifetime, but I remember a computer program many, many years ago that would let you find and replace. And I'm not quite clear how this works because I, I like to learn about all kinds of different ways of using the computer. But are you are you able to to check each one out and then okay each one? And are you also able to just let it go and do its thing? And if it finds five or 10, it just automatically does it. Are you able to do it both ways? Yes, you are able to do it both ways. Now that find and replace, that's that's a word command that that has nothing to do with screen readers. Right. No, um, I, I understand that. But but it's the same process. And with the screen reader, you have to give it directions. Right. Yeah. OK. No, I, yeah, I understand uh, that. I just wondered if you were able to do the same things with it. So that's right now. Great. Yeah. Now, in, in that dialogue box, um, I skipped over the um, uh, I, I typed in, you know, I typed something in find in the find edit field, then something in the replace edit field. One or two tabs after that was to jump to the first occurrence of that, so you could right. approve them one by one. So I just jumped right over that to the replace all. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay, next is Sky. Hello, David. Uh, this is Sky here, and I just want to let you know that uh, I've read some of the book, and it is amazing. I too am an assistive technology instructor. And um, I have plans to promote your book to our students who are learning the computer. And I hope that's okay with you, David. That is great because uh, I should have said, you know, obviously the, the primary target audience of this book are, are screen reader users, but also um, instructors and also teachers of the visually impaired. So um, please promote it. Just, just um, let people know who, who wrote it, uh, but the idea is for it to, to go far and wide. And, oh. and I, I really want instructors, if they feel it's useful, to use it. Again, one reason that I did create it was I wanted, um, sort of wanted a reference for myself, but then I also thought other instructors um, could use it. You know, when you go for training at a, uh, at a rehab uh, place, um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit hit and miss. Um, what you go home with afterwards for um, for reference material. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, you're taking a math class and you got to write the textbook yourself uh, while mm-hmm. you're still, while you're trying to learn the math. So uh, I hope this could be a reference that um, instructors could use. And I'd be really, you know, very happy if you did use that and others uh, used it in, um, in, in teaching their students. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much. Um... Thank you very much, and uh, I look forward to promoting it and sharing it with my students. Great, great. Okay, Terry is next. Hi, David. I, I downloaded the book yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday. Haven't had a chance to get past about the first paragraph yet, but I'm very mm-hmm. much looking forward to it. I'm going to ask a very, very basic question. Um, because I don't use a screen reader generally. The 
the speak aloud, I think is what it's called, in the Microsoft suite. You know, that's basically control alt space and you can get it to read any place that you put your cursor. Does that, do you know, does that run the same commands as narrator? Um, I really don't know. I, I really don't know. Because um, I don't use that simply because, of course, I use a, a, a screen reader. Um, but, uh, you know, to turn on narrator, you hit control windows enter. And, and anybody can do that on any computer that's a Windows computer because narrator is built into uh, into the computer. And I do talk in, uh, uh, well, I do talk about a number of narrator commands in, uh, in the chapter on narrator. So it, the keystroke you mentioned sort of new to me just because, you know, I, I don't use keystrokes like that. I just. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's wonderful for people with low vision because okay, you, can just good. Set, you can set the cursor to wherever you are and it'll just do, you just hit, but it only works in Microsoft's products. Okay. Okay. It doesn't work in Chrome. Uh, but I thank you very much. I will definitely, I think I'm going to start looking at narrator more closely. And I'm sure your book will help me with that. Thank you. Good, good. Mm -hmm. Okay, next is Lynn. You just muted yourself, Lynn. You were unmuted and now you muted yourself. I hate when I do that to myself. <laughs> Some people love it when I do it. Hello? There you go. Oh, thank us. you. I, I wanted to say thank you for writing such a wonderful book, but I'm going to be a little greedy and ask if it's ever going to come out on days in a daisy format so that we could follow along and practice some of the commands while we listen. Um, I don't have any plans to do that. No. Um, you know, one thing somebody asked me the other day, and I'm scratching my head, I, I may do this is I might ask the folks down the street from the Carroll Center at Perkins, if they're interested in maybe making an audiobook out of it, because I do understand um, sometimes the difficulty people have of having a book like that open and then open, and then like having to alt tab to some other place to try to do something. Um, so I might uh, ask them about that, but I, I don't have any plans to do a, uh, a Daisy book. And I well, thank you for doing it. Yeah, I don't know uh, all that's involved in doing a Daisy book. One, maybe somebody else on the on the line can tell me how complicated that is, because um, you know I definitely have appreciated, um, uh, for example, the Daisy training materials that um, Freedom Scientific has has put out. It makes it a lot easier to um, you know to follow some of their um, some of those materials. Thank you. Okay, uh, Bobby is next. Oh, am I unmuted or? Yes, you are. Hi, Bobby. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, David. Um, I'm gonna check your book out. I 
haven't checked the book out, but I heard the audio tutorial you did on your book, and it sounds like a very good book. Now, I have a question for you that you probably can't answer, but I'll try to, how, okay, why, when we install Windows, why is there a favorites folder sitting in our user profile that does absolutely nothing unless we manually add to it? Um, interesting you asked that. Well, the favorites folder that's in your user folder, at least for the moment, remains a relic from Internet Explorer, because when you use Internet Explorer, if you did use favorites and you created them, and maybe you created them up on the web in Internet Explorer, they would show up in the favorites folder. And I'm not sure whether um, with the disappearance of Internet Explorer, whether Microsoft is planning to do anything with that favorites folder. Um, my, uh, um, actually I wrote about this in the last book about web browsing. My, between favorites of Internet Explorer and bookmarks in Chrome and bookmarks in Firefox and favorites in Edge, which aren't, they're called favorites in name only. They're, they're like the other bookmarks. My absolute favorite way to do favorites was with that favorites folder in Internet Explorer. And with that going away, um, I think there's a little gap there. That said, um, I have another tip and trick uh, that I talk about in this book um, of my now preferred way of doing favorites and bookmarks. I, I know I'm a little bit off topic right now, uh, but it's sort of one oh, of no, those no, you're pet, not. pet peeves of mine. Um, but you can use, well, um, I'm, I'm hoping, in fact, that... that um, Here's what I'd like to see happen uh, with Windows 11 or something. I'd like, I'd, I would like it to be possible, for example, for in Google Chrome or in uh, Edge, which supposedly has favorites, to be able to export those favorites or bookmarks to that favorites folder. And then you would be able to manage those either there or somewhere else, but you'd be able to capture those and manage those in, I think, a much more effective and efficient way than uh, you do in bookmarks in Chrome or bookmarks in, in um, Firefox. So that's a long answer, but the short answer is it, it's, it's sort of a residual from Internet Explorer. And if you did use favorites in Internet Explorer, uh, it, is a, it is a folder that had a lot of value. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, David, it was kind of weird because that folder just it's been sitting there for a couple of years doing nothing. And I agree with you. Let's have put the folder to use. Otherwise, don't put it there. I would agree. But I'd hope they put it to use in the, in the way that I just uh, mentioned. We'll see. OK, Carla is next. Hi, boy, that was quick. Um, David, first of all, I want to thank you for your formatting your document with Word. That that book has just been so great. It's just helped me so much with things. And th that is just fantastic. But um, I have two questions, and you sort of alluded to one of them. But um, 
okay if i if if one were to download the this this book um, which i intend to do because it sounds like it's going to be very useful a very good reference tool and i can learn a lot from it and i need to increase my productivity because there are certain things that just take too long to do and it's my own fault because i haven't figured out how to do them but if i down if i were or anybody was to download this book um, do you have any suggestions for how to to manage going through it and to be doing things because it's in Word? So I, I guess you, you know, I don't know if you could save it to a another um, device or you know, how would you manage uh, the book? And then the other question I have, and um, I'm sorry that Internet Explorer is going away. I like the favorites bar and all that, but. Um, I don't use it anymore, but one reason I keep it around, it's set as my default, but it gives me the opportunity to um, pick which which browser I want. And once it's gone, I'll have to choose a default browser. And I was told there's no way to just say, uh, to be given a choice like I'm being given now. Is there any way of not choosing a, a, a browser and being able to choose whichever browser works best in whichever application, uh, because sometimes that's very difficult. So those are my two questions. Uh, second question first. Um, so you're asking about changing your default browser. Um, it is really quite easy to do that in Windows 10. Uh, it's a little bit of a gripe I have about Windows 11. They've sort of made it more difficult to do it. But in Windows 10, it's very easy to change your default browser. Um, you, know, you simply hit the Windows key. You uh, can type in, uh, start typing in the word default till it says default app system settings, something like that. Hit enter, tab three, four, five times. You'll see it says uh, web browser and it says what your current default is. Hit enter a space bar to get in there. Tab uh, two, three, you know, tab through your different choices, hit enter a space, and that's your new browser. So it doesn't take you very long at all to do that. And um, also, um, I think if you're already comfortable, say, navigating, you know, over the years through Internet Explorer, you'll really find that the learning curve for moving to another browser is not very steep at all. It, it really isn't. So it's really not something to be afraid of. And you really do need to change away from Internet Explorer because um, very few websites work with it anymore. And I think I saw somewhere that uh, come June in Windows 10, um, Microsoft is officially retiring it, getting rid of it. And it's not available Windows 11 if you ever upgrade to a uh, new computer. Um, but I do talk about that in the in the book, as well as um, I think when people were changing over from Internet Explorer to other browsers like Chrome, um, one of the the biggest ob obstacles in a way was um, figuring out how to use bookmarks versus favorites, which people may have been used to over the years in Internet Explorer. So I do talk in the book about my preferred way of dealing with all of that, which essentially in a way um, still uses the favorites folder in a way. But um, anyway, you can you can read about that. In terms of the book being in Word, I do talk about, and I talked about during the launch, um, and again, I'll, I'll send a link to that so you can listen a little bit more. 
I do talk about strategies for navigating the book. Again, the book has been set up uh, using headings. So if let's say you're using JAWS, uh, you can get a list of headings by hitting insert F6. You'll hear there's over 500 headings in the book. So you need a strategy for figuring out how to navigate through it. But it just so happens that each chapter begins with the letter C. So you can hit C, you'll hit chapter one, C hit here chapter two, and then you can hit enter and boom, you're in the book in chapter two. It's almost like uh, that list of headings is essentially like a uh, table of contents. You can also put it in that quick keys mode that you heard a little bit about a few moments ago when I was talking about how to um, how to skim read. And so if you hit insert Z, um, and then you can hit H to go to the next heading, or more importantly, you can move by heading level. And it just so happens that the book is organized so that each chapter is a level one heading. So you can hit the number one on the number row, and that will take you to introduction. One again, chapter one, chapter two, and then each section within the chapters are heading twos, and you can hit two and three and four and so on. So there are strategies for moving through it. I'll say one other thing about that, and, and that is because the book's a little bit, you know, sort of large, over 300 pages, I have noticed that, um, don't know why this is, it seems to work okay with JAWS, but when you bring up that list of headings, or even uh, the equivalent of the quick keys mode in NVDA or Narrator, it's very sluggish if your computer is, is uh, old and slow, like computer I'm using right now, I'm sort of ashamed to say I've got this seven or eight year old Toshiba and I just keep it around forever because I just love the keyboard compared to all my other, uh, all the other alternatives uh, for laptops. But anyway, um, those are sluggish, they can be sluggish. So the workaround I've uh, come up with is to break the book up into separate chapters. And um, I am happy to send to people who want it, if they want it in this way, um, the book broken up into chapters. So for example, let's say on a particular day, you're interested in the Excel chapter. Well, rather than open the entire over 300 uh, page book, you know, you can open up the Excel chapter that's like 30 or 40 pages instead. Um, so it could be a way to get around sort of the, the bulk of the size of the book. So there are various navigation strategies and um, uh, I talked about those in the, um, in the uh, launch the other day and they're also um, uh, laid out in the introduction right at the beginning. Well, thank you so much for that. But the question I really had about was the default web browser is, is there a way to not choose one? And I've been told no, but I wish there was a way I could do that so that when I go, um, say I go to Zoom, um, all right, you know, to hit a Zoom link, that it asks me which one I want to open it in, because, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to have that freedom, and that's the only reason I keep Internet Explorer around, because I'm not going to use it, but it tells me not to use it, and which one do you want, and then I choose the one I want, and once Internet Explorer goes away, I won't be able to do that. So, do well, you what, right, what I said earlier, about how you change your default browser, at least in Windows 10. You do it a few times, it takes you 10 seconds. So I change my default browser, I don't know, several times a week. It's not, it's not like a, uh, you know, a lifestyle, a major, you know, change in your life. So uh, if you want, for example, you want to open um, a Zoom meeting 
in Google Chrome. And for the moment, your default browser is Edge, and it does default to Edge these days in Windows 10. Uh, you can very quickly change your default browser to Chrome, and then that Zoom meeting is going to open in Chrome, or somebody sends you a link to some web page, it's going to open in Chrome. So oh, it's very, thank you. It's, it's very, very quick and easy to change your default web browser. Very easy with Windows 10. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Okay, next is Travis. All right. Good evening, everyone. How are we doing? Fine. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, great speech. And you're doing you did a really good job, very descriptive. And I just want you to know. So um, here's my big question talk from a Microsoft point of view. Is it true that Internet Explorer is going away on all the Microsoft related uh, computers? Uh, as far as I know, it is there. I think uh, they are officially totally retiring it out of Windows 10 in June. I saw, okay. but but you should not be using it anymore, anyways. And then it's it's not on any Windows 11 computers. So what's the default? Okay, so what's the default browser that you use then when you buy a Windows 11 computer? What's the default browser? The default is going to be Edge, uh, Microsoft Edge, Edge oh. because it's okay. their product. And Edge is, uh, you know, after many years of not being a very good browser at all. Uh, you know, they did a substantial uh, refurbishment of it two years ago, I think, yeah, two years now, January 2020. And it's quite good. A lot of people like it. But, you know, if your cup of tea is more uh, Chrome, then again, you can switch to that. Again, very quick and easy, as I mentioned before, to do that in Windows 10. A little bit more complicated to do it in Windows 11. And the keystrokes are still the same with the JAWS and everything on the edge. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, if you're running Edge versus Chrome versus Mozilla Firefox, your JAWS keystrokes or your JAWS keystrokes, the, the learning curve between the different browsers is not very steep at all. The one, the one area that's different uh, is the settings. So there are a few settings changes, and those tend to be different between the browsers. But uh, if you're browsing the web, you know, H, H for headings is going to be H for headings anywhere. Insert F7 for links list the same. All those basic keystrokes um, are the same. There, there are a few. Uh, yeah, they're all the same. They're all the same. Okay, good. That's perfect. Awesome. Well, great speech and keep up the hard work. And thanks for presenting tonight. Yeah, and this is Sky here. I just want to add something to Travis. Um, yeah, these are the same. And these are uh, what we're talking about is transferable skills. When uh, you, when transfer, uh, when you're using the concepts are the same um, between different browsers. Um, the difference is in the bookmarking and stuff like that. Right, and Thanks. and uh, and also, uh, like I mentioned, um, uh, Edge was substantially uh, changed two years ago but quite explicitly, quite purposely to look like Google Chrome. So they really are quite similar in how you navigate through them. Firefox is still a little bit different, but, uh, but that does not change the JAWS keystrokes. JAWS keystrokes are the same regardless of the browser. And there are a lot of Windows keystrokes that are universal between the different browsers too. All right, that sounds good. Thank you, Travis. We have one more hand. Yes, that's Jeff. Good evening, everybody. I just wanted to give another hint in reference to uh, using different browsers 
when you want to navigate with a specific link. One tip you might be able to do uh, this by is by using a uh, shortcut hotkey for each of the browsers that might appear on your desktop. So for example, if you have a uh, Internet Explorer Chrome and Edge icon on your desktop, you can go to the properties of those icons and define a hotkey for those. If you can then copy the link to the clipboard, then you can simply launch whichever browser you wish to use, go to the address bar and paste that into the address bar of the browser you launched and you're there. So within three keystrokes, you should be able to get the same issue done here uh, very quickly and efficiently if you can get the link copied to the clipboard. That's the key thing here. So that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, nice thing about Windows, or sometimes confusing, is uh, for any given thing you want to do, there's always several different ways to do it. And everybody sort of develops their own sort of favorite ways of doing stuff. But uh, like Jeff says, three keystrokes there. Um, other way I mentioned of changing my default browser, I just do it so often that it becomes almost a muscle memory thing. That's probably five or six keystrokes. So I probably lose out on the number of keystrokes there, but that's just how I do it. All right. Uh, I think we're up against time. So I have a couple more things to mention as well, and I'll do that in just a second. But first, let's, uh, let's give you a chance to tell people, number one, where they can go to get the book and how they can contact you for more information. Um, so where you go to get the book is a link that I don't actually have, uh, memorized. Okay. Uh, but, uh, again, I'll put that out again to the list in terms of my email address, uh, where you could reach me, uh, use my work address. That's david.kingsbury at carol.org. So that's D-A-V-I-D period K-I-N-G-S-B-U-R-Y at C-A-R-R. O-L-L, period, O-R-G. Um, and if you have tuned in to this meeting and have listened faithfully and carefully and you'd like to hear more, uh, we had a prep meeting a couple days ago, John and I and Jeff, about what we wanted to talk about on Tech Talk and on Main Menu. And so David will be with us Wednesday on main menu, and we've we figured out a couple of things perhaps to tackle that we haven't touched on much here. Um, so it won't be exactly the same, uh, but David will be with us that Wednesday, the first hour, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, and we'll uh, talk again about his book and some of these items and take questions on Tech Talk. Yeah, there, there will be more tips and tricks, but I promise they will not be the same ones. So thank you so much for being with us. Another exciting hour. Good hour, and we're glad to have you with us again, and good luck on the book. Well, thank you for having me. Next week, Ron Miller is going to be with us. We did this uh, on ACB's Vespero training series, and it was really good. And uh, so he's going to come back next week and talk to us about using Kindle with JAWS. Thanks for being with us on Tech Talk. <laughs> 